Good morning, everyone. Well, we were singing that last song. I was getting emotional up here. <laughs> uh, just the, the lyrics of that bridge that, you know, your name is life. Your name is hope inside of me. Your name is love, a love that always finds me. And I was just sitting here thinking, man, there's, there's got to be people in here that need to hear that this morning, that that Jesus' name is life, that Jesus is the hope that's inside of us. When everything kind of seems to be fallen down around us, we can hold fast to that hope of Jesus. We can hold fast to that hope that, that comes with our faith in him, that he loves us, that his very name is love, and it's a love that always finds us wherever we're at. And it was just a beautiful truth uh, that I was reminded of this morning. And I just want to pray over all of you this morning as we begin. Let's, let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for each heart and each soul that's here today. And Lord, I just pray that they would know that Jesus' name is life, that there is life found in no other name than Jesus, that he is the way, the truth, and the life that in him we have hope, a hope that can never be stolen, a hope that can be never taken, regardless of circumstance, regardless of what's happening around us. We hold to the hope of Jesus Christ and to the hope that is to come in eternity. And Lord, I just pray that every heart and every soul in here this morning would know that they are loved by you. Maybe there's those here who don't know you, who don't have a relationship with Jesus, Father, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them today, that you would reveal yourself as the loving Heavenly Father that you are. Lord, that you sent your Son to die on a cross so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be reconciled to you and be given abundant life in Christ. And so, Father, I pray that that truth would resound in our hearts this morning. I thank you for it, Lord. I thank you for the mighty work that you've done in Christ. May we be encouraged today through the power of your Holy Spirit as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I was not with you last week. I was on vacation with my wife, going to a, a wedding in Toronto of uh, a a longtime friend of ours, Nick, stepped in and preached for me, and so thank you to Nick for, for taking that on last week. This week, we are back into our current series that we started a couple of weeks ago called Gifted for Love, and we are in this series because every single believer in Jesus has been given a gift or has been given gifts of the Spirit, and every person who is a follower of Christ has been given those gifts for the good of the church. And every believer, every part of Jesus' body has a part to play in the building up of his church. As a part of this church, you have a part to play here. You have been gifted uniquely to serve Jesus' body here as a part of a, the mission that Jesus has given his church. I said in week one that uh, we are all here for two reasons. We are here to be built up in our faith, and we are here to be poured out in our faith. Both of those things should be happening in Jesus' church. We get built up, and we pour ourselves out for the mission that he has given us. And the reality of Jesus' church 
is it is an incredibly counter-cultural reality because we are a body, and a body must function all together. Every part of the body needs to be functioning properly. Can you imagine if your heart one day was just like, you know what, nah, like, I'm kind of sick of beating 60 to 80 times a minute. Just, just going to take a break. Like, that would not go well for the rest of the body. There's no other organ in the body that can step in and do the role that the heart has to do in the body. And that is the reality for all of us. We all have a part to play that nobody else can play. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need need of you. Every single part is needed. The very way that Jesus' church was created was to function in a counter-cultural way. Because Canadian culture and North American culture in general, they, they teach, hey, be devoted to your personal fulfillment. Be devoted to your personal satisfaction. That is the highest importance in life, that you be happy. And Jesus flips that completely on his head and says, no, no, uh, you have a different aim as a member of my body. It is not ultimately to pursue your own satisfaction, but to fulfill your role in serving the body as a whole, which will bring you satisfaction, which will bring you joy, but you'll be doing it for the good of others because you and I are here for one another. We are not here merely for ourselves. And so devoting our lives to Jesus's body, devoting our lives to that kind of mission is completely counter-cultural. And it is hard to find in a world that preaches the autonomy and satisfaction of self. Paul would say it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 8. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Just stop there. Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's not your mindset when you're a part of the world. The world's mindset is not, let me think of others as better than myself. Let me look to the needs of others. No, it's something that you receive in Christ, and it becomes your mindset that you now share the same mindset as Christ. I'm going to look to others now. It's something that's given to us in relationship with Jesus. Verse 6, Paul continues, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the kind of living that we are called to as members of Jesus' body. And so this series is not only an examination of the gifts of the Spirit that have been given to Jesus' church. But this series is also a call away from living like the world and a call to 
living as a member of Jesus' body, one for another. A life that looks to the whole of Jesus' body and lives for its good in the way that you are uniquely called and gifted to do so by God. In week one of this series, we began by talking about how we are all united in Christ. And to sum up the, the heart of that message is to quote Paul in Ephesians 4, verse 4 to 6, where he says, There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all, that is the reality of being united in Christ, that we are one body, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism that we have been brought into by the blood of Jesus. And we share that together. And though there is unity in the body of Christ, there is not called to be uniformity in the body of Christ, right? Because in week two, we talked about how we are a body, but we have many members. We are all not the same. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 14, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. So week two, we talked about how there are many members within the unified body of Jesus. There is not uniformity. We are not the same. We have different giftings, different life experiences, different backgrounds, and we all bring those into the body of Christ. And it's beautiful, and God created it to be that way. And this week, in this sermon I've entitled Equipped for Ministry Part 1, we're going to start to look at the gifts that God has given His body and we're going to start by looking at the offices of the church that Paul mentions in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And this morning, I want to focus on why. Why were these offices given to the church, and what is the purpose of them in the body of Christ? And then next week in part two, we're going to look at each one of the offices more in depth and consider how do they actually function? How they function throughout the history of Jesus' church? Do they all still function today? And what is their role in the body? And so if you're following along in your Bibles, you can go to Ephesians 4. We're going to jump back to verse 7. Paul says in verse 7, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, when Paul says grace there, he is referring specifically to the gifts that God has given his church. That is what the rest of the context of Ephesians chapter 4 makes clear. When Paul says grace, he's talking about gifts. And he makes it more explicit in verse 8 when he quotes Psalm 68 verse 18. He says about Jesus, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So God's grace, which is gifts, he gave gifts to men. And if we jump to verse 11, where we're going to go from today, that Susan read for us, Paul starts the verse by saying, and he gave. And so here's the, the progression. Paul's saying, God gave grace in verse 7. That grace is in the form of gifts. And now Paul is going to list some of those gifts in verse 11. And Paul says, and he gave the apostles the prophets, 
the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. So God gave these offices and the people that are in these offices and the unique gifts that are required by these offices in order to perform them as gifts to Jesus' body. He has given them as gifts to us. They are a part of God's grace to us and how he supplies our needs as followers of Jesus. And each one of these offices that God has given uniquely supplies our needs in its own way. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more next week. But though each one uniquely supplies our needs in Jesus's body, every single one of them has the exact same goal, has the exact same purpose. And Paul tells us what the purpose of these offices is in verse 12. He says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. All of those gifts have the same purpose. Equip the saints for ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Well, what does it mean to equip? What does that actually mean? Well, the verb that came from the Greek that's translated equip is used multiple times throughout the New Testament that gives us a really good picture of what Paul's talking about. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 21, it's used in the context of mending something or repairing something. Jesus is walking along, and he comes across James and John, and they are repairing their fishing nets. In the Gospel of Luke, it's used in the context of training. Jesus says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but will be like him when he is fully trained. In Hebrews and in Romans, it's used in the context of preparing Right? The body, Jesus says, the body of believers were prepared for him. Corinthians, it's used in Corinthians in the context of making something complete. That we are made complete as a body when we are united with one another. And in 1 Peter, it's used in the context of being made perfect. When Peter says that God is going to establish us, God is going to make us perfect. So the role of the offices of the church is to equip, which means to repair things, to mend things, to train, to prepare, to make complete, to strive towards perfection. And this is not done just for the sake of doing it. It is done with a purpose in mind. And Paul tells us that that purpose is for the work of ministry. So my role as a pastor is to equip, is to pre prepare and repair and train and make complete and strive towards perfection so that the saints may be prepared to do the work of ministry. Because again, every single Christian has a work to do. Every single Christian has a task, has a function. And the reality of Jesus' body is that there is a lot of work to do, right? Even if we just think about ourselves, like outside in the world, there's so much work to do. But even within the church, there is so much work to do because nobody comes to Jesus perfect, right? We all come to Jesus broken. 
We are all in need of repair. Nobody comes to Jesus fully prepared to walk out their faith. We all need to be prepared for what God calls us into. So there is much work to be done in the church. You know, the idea of equipping the saints for the work of ministry is largely lost in our North American context. We've lost this idea that we are to be equipped for ministry ourselves. And this has largely happened because of this entertainment model in church where we think we go and we sit and we be entertained and then we go home and ministry itself is done by so-called professionals or a select few in the church and everybody else just comes and gets built built up. That's not how Jesus' body was meant to function. The offices equip the saints, and then the saints do the work of ministry. And all of it, all of this, all the work done for the saints, and all the work done by the saints, is performed for the ultimate an end goal of it all. And Paul tells us what that is at the end of verse 12. For the building up of the body of Christ. Everything that I do, everything that you do, is for the end goal of building up the body of Christ. So if that's our end goal, we need to understand it. We need to know, what are we aiming at here? And Paul, thankfully, defines it for us in the very next verse. So let's, I'm just going to read from verse 11. Paul says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all may attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul says, this is what we're aiming at. We're aiming at building up the body of Christ. And here's what it means. It's threefold. It's that we all attain to the unity of the faith, that we all attain to the knowledge of the Son of God, and that we all attain to the mature manhood or womanhood. Now, notice that Paul says until we all, every one of us. Church is not individualistic. The body of Jesus is not individualistic. The body of Jesus is corporate. It is a whole And so that means that every single one of us is concerned for the person beside us and behind us and in front of us, that we are all attaining to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. That means that at no point in our lives do we ever come to this place and go, you know what, I think I've achieved it, I'm good. I don't need to be a part of the body. No, you know what? You do because that person next to you hasn't achieved it yet. And that person behind you maybe hasn't achieved it yet. And you have a work to do to encourage them and to exhort them in their faith. 
That's why we're all here. That's why we never leave the body of Christ. That's why we never leave the gathering. If we're built up, if we're mature in our faith, you have so much work left to do for your brothers and sisters next to you. Come along. Come with me until you attain to this, until we all attain to this. This is the heart of Jesus' body. This is the heart that we should all have, a concern for the whole. So Paul gives three goals that are, the, that are defined the built-up church, and I want to look at each one. Goal number one, Paul says, until we all attain the unity of the faith. I just got to quote Paul again in this. Nobody can say it better than him. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were all called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Until we all attain to that. You know, the reality of Jesus' church is that there should be a growing unity in Jesus' church. It's an interesting thing, and you see it all throughout faith. You see it all throughout Scripture. If you look at Ephesians 4, verse 3, Paul says that we've been given unity. He calls it the unity of the Spirit. So it's been given to us by the Spirit. But then at the same time, Paul says you have to maintain that unity. And we talked about that in week two, I think. In humility, we walk with one another, forbearing with one another. Those four things that Paul lists there. But you know what's interesting is Paul says, unity's been given to you by the Spirit. You need to maintain that unity. But then in verse 13, Paul says, you have to attain to it. What? What does he mean? And this is the reality of our faith. That we are we receive things in Christ, but there's a fullness of those things that we still have to attain to. And so we receive the unity that comes from Christ just from being a part of his body, but we have to grow in that unity, attain that unity with one another. And it happens through loving one another, through humility, through bearing with, through all of these things. All throughout our faith, you see these things where it's like, you've received it, but not yet. You have it, but it's still to come. And it's the same thing with unity. You have it, but there's more to come. And we aim for that. Goal number two, Paul says, attain to the knowledge of the Son of God. I think this is fascinating. You'll notice that when Paul refers to Jesus here, he calls him the Son of God. What's fascinating about that is it is incredibly rare for Paul to use that in his letters. He, whenever Paul refers to Jesus, he always calls him Christ. And whenever he refers to believers, he always says that we are in Christ. There is only four times in all of Paul's letters that he actually uses the name, the Son of God. And I think Paul intentionally uses it here. Because to know, to know that Jesus is the Son of God comes uniquely from the Spirit of God. You cannot attain to that knowledge by earthly wisdom. 
To know that Jesus is the Son of God is the proper knowledge of who Jesus is. And from that flows everything else that he has done, everything else that he is, everything else that we receive flows from that knowledge. You see, the world has no problem saying Jesus is a great teacher. Jesus is a prophet. Jesus is a wise man. They will even say Jesus died on a cross. But to say Jesus is the Son of God, to believe that, comes uniquely from the Spirit. And so Paul uses the name Son of God. Because when he's talking about the knowledge we attain to, it's the truth that comes from the Spirit of God. It's not just head knowledge. It's heart knowledge. On top of that, it's, it's truth that, that is gained through fellowship with Jesus, through fellowship with God that comes only through the power of the Spirit. When you are redeemed through Christ, it is a knowledge that grows when someone knows who Jesus is and because of that is willing to forsake everything else to know him more. That only happens when you understand that Jesus is the Son of God because then you can fully comprehend what he has done on your behalf and then you just want to know him more. You just want to love him more. And this is what Paul in his life strived for. This is what he strived to attain. He says in Philippians 3, after listing all of his earthly accomplishments, all of the things that he had gained, he says in verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own, but that which comes through faith in Christ. the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul, he recognizes he is the son of God. He came and he became a man. And he grew up so that he would die on a cross for my sins? I have to know this person more. I have to know this Jesus more. Because he did that for me, everything that I have in this earth, I counted as loss in order to gain him. Is that our heart, church? Is that our heart? That there is nothing that is worth more than Christ. That there is nothing that is worth more than knowing our Lord and Savior. Will we count absolutely everything else as rubbish, as nothing that we may gain Christ? May we? Will we? 
That's what we all have to come before the Lord. Lord, is this me? Can I say that like Paul? Can I say I lay it all down for him? That I may know him, that I may know the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, that I may become like him by any means possible. Goal number three, maturity. That we are all, that we all attain to mature manhood or womanhood. The measurement of which is Christ himself. So that's challenging. (laughs) Paul says, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's this idea that if Christ is the mature man, if he is the measurement of the mature man and we are all a part of his body, then we must mature to be like him. His body must mature to be like him. And you know what? That's not going to happen on this side of eternity. We can walk towards it. We can go that direction, but we won't achieve it. But one commentator wrote this, Whether the goal can be realized in this life or not is irrelevant. The point is that the Christian is to press forward with no lesser ambition than this. Is that our ambition? God, I know I'm not going to achieve it on this side of life, but I'm going to press on towards the goal. May that be my life's ambition. Whatever it is, whatever it looks like in my life, I'm going to press towards that. Is that our goal? These are the three things that Paul lists as what it looks like for Christ's body to be built up. Next week, I'm going to talk more about how, how this works. But I want to just touch on this before we go. The work of ministry causes growth in Jesus' body by two things that Paul tells us. He says in verse 15, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So speaking the truth in love grows and builds up the body. Do you know how difficult that is to do? If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know how difficult that is to do. Because sometimes you will speak the truth in love and you'll be declared unloving. And other times you'll walk into situations and you'll be like, man, I really need to speak up and you'll be afraid to. And there'll be other times where you'll be tempted to say, well, the most loving thing is for me to keep my mouth shut when it's not. It is such a hard thing to walk. I'm going to touch more on that next week. But in our speaking the truth in love, in the building up of the body, we do it all by relying on Christ as our source of all of it. 
Because Paul says in verse 16, talking about Christ, he says, from whom? The whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul says, the growth and building up of the body is from Christ, who is the head of the body, he says in verse 15. He's the one who brings the growth. Jesus, he said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. I will do it. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So when the body is built up, it's from Christ. But at the same time, like so many things in our faith, the whole body causes the growth. It's from Christ, but the people of the body cause the growth to happen. As we are faithful to do our part as a member of the body, Christ does his part in bringing the growth. The emphasis, I want to leave you again, the emphasis of all of this is on the whole. It is not individualistic. It is when every part is functioning properly. It is when every part is focusing on growing the other parts that the body of Jesus will grow together. That the body of Jesus will be built up, will be strengthened in love. And we'll talk more about how next week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you that your word is living, that your word is active, that when we read, when we hear the preaching of your word, it cuts to the heart. God, I pray that each of us would be encouraged this morning and that your Holy Spirit would also speak to us, Father. That your Holy Spirit would encourage us and convict us where it is needed. Lord, you have given every single one of us a task in the building up of your body. We all have a role to play. Father, may we not be individualistic about our faith. May we understand that we are not only here for ourselves, but we are here for our brothers and sisters, those all around us. Father, I pray that the heart for each one of us is that we would attain to the unity of the faith, that that would be our focus, that we would attain to the knowledge of Jesus, that we would attain to that mature manhood, Lord, that we will not achieve on this side of heaven, but we look to it and we walk towards it. Father, I pray that you would speak to us. Are we like Paul? Do we say, all of this is rubbish. I give everything up if it means knowing Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would give us that kind of heart and that kind of spirit, that it would grow in us.
and that we would encourage one another in it. I thank you for your son. I thank you for his sacrifice. Thank you that we can know him and know you through him. In Jesus' name, amen.